Hello, this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. That's right, your questions are at the heart of the show. And if you want to send one, simply text or voice message to at WisemanPod or head to listentoonyourmind.com. And in return, you can expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about Christmas and the holiday season. What effect does the Christmas break have on us psychologically? Should Santa have a beard? And is there a psychology to gift giving? I mean, the more the merrier. Let's get on with the show. Even the word Christmas has got me a little bit excited. Really? How, do, how do you feel about <laughs> <laughs> You've you recoiled in disgust. I've I'm, let you I'm down. Not, I'm not a huge fan. Aren't you? No. What's not to love? Well, I'll share a little secret, which is, or well, two things, actually, is my association with Christmas. When I was about, I think, four years old, I was at school and Christmas came around and Santa came to visit the school. But no one told me he was coming. And so Santa came and he was standing behind me <laughs> and he sort of jumped out in front of me and said, ho, 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 and I shit myself. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's really bad. So, my, my main association from a very young age was not positive. It was very unpleasant. Being literally shit scared. <laughs> literally. By Father Christmas. And it, it does scar you. Yeah. So every time, and of course, Christmas imagine. time, it's hard to escape the imagery. Yeah. It's, it's, every, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere you it's look. It's in all of the adverts. Absolutely. <laughs> And so after the man that, that terrified you so much. <laughs> For years, my parents would say, let's go and visit Santa in the grotto. No, I was like, why would no. we want to do that? No. <laughs> Nobody wants that again. Um, so that, that's one memory <laughs> of, uh, of Santa. The other one is much, much later on in my life. We used to have a, a sort of big Christmas tea in our house and this would finish like a buffet thing and it would finish around about sort of eight o'clock at night. And so we'd all consumed a large uh, amount of food and we sat down. And then there was a knock on the door and this horrified look on my mum's face. And she said, oh, my goodness, I invited your uncle and aunt around <gasps> for Christmas tea. I'd forgotten. And so we had to lay it all out again and all have a second one as if we hadn't had the first one. And I felt so sick afterwards <laughs> consuming two of these things. And because it was this weird deception because we're all sitting there and except for two people uh, knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. It was like being trapped in a, in a terrible sitcom. But that's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. It's also, it's happened to a friend of mine who wanted to split himself between his parents who were divorced mm. and agreed to have Christmas dinner with both of them and <laughs> just ended up having two Christmas dinners. Well, that's rather sweet. I think that's lovely. It's rather sweet. But it, I still feel the pain of, of both those instants whenever I hear the word, well, one more than the other, as you might imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, um, I'm not a huge fan of Christmas, but it's nice to see people having a good time, he says, uh, allegedly. Is that true? Do we like seeing people having no. a good time? No, OK. However, I'm, I am fascinated by the psychology surrounding it. Christmas crackers, which is very interesting because they're obviously a Victorian invention. And well, it's not obvious, but they are a Victorian invention. And what was interesting about the early Victorian ones is that what you would get inside the cracker, instead of getting a gift for yourself, you would get something like a little whistle that's tuned to a certain pitch. And that would meant that working together as a group, you could play a tune. 
No, in other words, it was something that was supposed to bring people together rather than I've got this terrible gift and then you look around the table and realise that everyone's got a better gift than you. So I'm a big fan of experiences which bring people together, get them to cooperate, and that's what the original Christmas Cracker ethos was about, which is lovely. That is lovely. I thought you were going to say it was Victorian and therefore there was some sort of Victorian morality rather than a joke, like you'd get a little piece of paper telling you how you'd failed somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the thing of working together. You came around my house the other day and, and I didn't show you, but I've actually got a set of these little bells. Uh, each one plays a particular note. And often at Christmas time, we'll hand a bell out to each person and then you point to them in a certain order and they can play a, a song together. It's lovely. That's really lovely. I might, nice. I might get that working at, at this Christmas. It, it, it is really, really good. It's a lot of fun. I came up with a theory of Christmas cracker jokes. Okay, go on. So my, my theory was, which was, the question was, why are Christmas cracker jokes so bad? Mm -hmm. And I've got a couple here. So uh, Sandwich walks into a bar, barman says, sorry, we don't serve food. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Santa Claus looks out the window, turns to his wife and says, do you think it's going to rain, dear? Oh. That's right, isn't it? I went to buy some camouflage trousers the other day, but I couldn't find them. Oh, that's terrible. Thank you. So the question is, why are they so bad? My theory, for which I, I should make this clear, no evidence at all, yeah. is that it makes us all have a shared experience, which isn't one of laughter, but one of, oh, isn't that a terrible joke? Yeah. In other words, we can blame or attribute the lack of laughter to the material, not to the person. Okay. Do we all get a shared feeling of superiority because we all found it awful? Yeah, well, there's bonding because we've all had the same experience. But in terms of attribution theory, if you've got a really good bit of material, a great joke, and, and you fumble it, then you feel terrible. But if you've got a terrible joke, everyone goes, oh, my goodness, you couldn't have done anything with that terrible material. So it's actually quite clever. That's my theory. Yeah, it's a good theory. Well, thank you. And as I say, absolutely no evidence for that at all. Evidence, schmevidence, exactly. as we never say on this podcast. Um, we've had lots of listener questions about Christmas because it's a minefield as well as a day of celebration. Mm. And there are questions that we will be getting through quite a lot of them about gift giving. Let's start with a question here about birthdays and Christmas from Arthur sent in via Twitter. He asks, does having a birthday on or around Christmas have any effect on a child's development? I don't know about child's development. I mean, funny enough, my mum is born very close to Christmas, so we have this every year. And, and what she's had an entire lifetime of is that people don't really celebrate your birthday. Mm -hmm. So instead, instead of getting these two moments of celebration, one on Christmas and one on your birthday, it kind of gets rolled into one and people just buy you a slightly bigger present yeah or your birthday isn't really very much of anything because you know it's part of this holiday season so it's hard to think it wouldn't have some kind of impact i assume you'd start to feel very very bitter <laughs> yeah uh, I, i'd assume the same i've done research into santa yeah. We did some experiments with the Daily Telegraph. My very good friend, Roger Highfield, oh, uh, was, yes. was working Lovely there. Lovely man. Lovely man. And what we looked at was the, the impact of a, a white beard on people's perception of personality. Okay. So we had some photos of individuals and we added, using Photoshop, some white beards on them. And then we printed them in different editions of the newspaper. And we asked people to rate uh, their generosity and intelligence and so on. And we found some big differences. So when the person had a white beard, they're actually seen as less generous by uh, 28%. These are, not, these are not small effects. Less cheerful and less caring. It's the opposite to what you'd expect. 
Wow. But if we go back to the original St. Nicholas... Yes. In the Dutch tradition, because I used to live in Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. the Dutch Santa is not a fat, jolly man. He's very skinny. He comes along from Spain, and if you're a bad kid, he beats you and puts you in a sack. Right. And drags you off to Spain. So, you know, traditionally... Yes, there there are some (laughs) things going on there. There's a lot to worry about, re-Santa. Well, my argument with these figures was that if Santa was to take his beard off, he'd actually become more generous, potentially, and a bit more giving. Can I point out that you have a white beard? Uh, I do these days, yes. It's it's a small white beard, though. It's It's not a full Santa beard. Have you considered growing a full Santa? There are times when, if I don't have to give a talk or anything, then I will actually grow quite a big beard. I think you should do that for Christmas. But there's a lot of stuff on perception of personality and beards. So if you have a beard, you're seen primarily as not as honest. Clean-shaven really? people, yeah, clean-shaven men are seen as uh, actually far more honest. And if you look at, say, um, the American presidents, I don't think there's been one in the last long time with a beard. If you look at sort of uh, CEOs and so on, the men rarely have beards. That's so interesting because I think beards go in trends and I think we're on a beard trend at the moment. A lot of my male friends have beards. But I can't think of a male prime minister that's had a beard. I mean, maybe going way back. So we've had a lot of questions about gift giving. Yes. And Clemmy has the ultimate in gift giving questions. She wants to know, is it better to give or receive? It is an excellent question. It is the most fundamental question. And the research is pretty clear on this. So there's been some lovely work. Uh, Elizabeth Dunn has done carried out some of the classic studies in this, where you give people whatever it is, these are American studies, so maybe $20, and one group gets to spend it on themselves, and another group gets to spend it, you guessed it, on other people. Which group end up feeling happier? Who knew? It's the group spending it on other people. Because you're, what you're buying uh, is as that sense of contact, mm-hmm. that, that sense of having a community of helping other people out. And there's been a lot of studies in this area and that's pretty much where they point. So what's interesting about gift giving is that actually you're doing something fundamentally that's good for you and and hopefully if the person enjoys the gift, uh, good for other people as well. So that's just a bonus. This is kind of making yourself feel good by proxy. Yeah, if somebody gives me a gift, I always say, look, you've done this just to make yourself feel good. It makes me sick. (laughs) Parry has messaged the show asking, when someone says, oh, don't worry about me, don't bother getting me anything this year, should you take them at their word? Because I once did this to my mum and she was devastated. Oh, no, you shouldn't. No. no. So that this gets into the social psychology of, of what's being said there, because on, on the face of it, it's, oh, don't worry about me. And, and, and so you could take that literally and that's probably going to be a disaster. What the person is really saying is, I want you to signal that you love me and, and care about me and so on. But I don't want you to feel pressured to do it, so I'm telling you that. But what I do want to see is some kind of signal yeah. from you. And so it's a little bit like the white bear, you know, we ask people not to think of the white bear and that's all they can get in, in their heads. When someone says, you know, please don't get me anything, what they're saying is, please, for goodness sake, get me something. I beg of you. Oh, no. OK. Does that apply across all cultures? I have no idea. Okay. What will be very culture-bound is what you do once you get a gift that you don't like. And this was some research by Karen Pine, who's a University of Hertfordshire with me. You know Karen very well. And she did surveys about what you do when you get a gift that you don't think very much of. And I was surprised at the figures. So 40% of people think it's okay to take an unwanted gift back to the shop and get a refund. 
that seems quite high to me. Yeah. But what kind of unwanted, I guess, because is it, and we've had a question about this, the politics of gift giving. Mm. And, and Judy says, I come from a large family and I've been trying to convince them this year, rather than buying each other cheap stuff that no one really wants, we should do a secret Santa so that everyone gets one gift, but it's worth a bit more and it's got thought put into it. But my daughter is still at the quantity over quality age and not keen. She says, is she being a Scrooge or is this a good idea? Well, it's I, it's tricky though. It, it, I, I think it is is tricky because part of receiving a gift is that you can show other people what gift you've got. Yeah. And so if you've got lots of gifts, then the signal is lots of people like me. Yeah. So it's not so much the gift you're getting for yourself, but the way in which you can then use that gift to signal to other people. And again, this is what we forget about gift giving is that you're not giving really just to the person. You're like social currency. You're giving them something they can then show other people. Yeah. And so here's the issue is that if the person's only got one thing, then maybe it doesn't allow them to go, look, look at all my friends or but look at how much people care for me. It, I don't know. My mother won't buy herself anything delightful. It's got to be functional mm. and she'll do stuff for other people but it just makes that makes it a real pleasure to buy her something luxurious that I know she wouldn't buy for herself and so if I did a secret Santa and I got someone else I'd be deprived of getting her something I know would bring her joy and I might get someone that I don't have the same connection with in the big family yeah the secret Santa thing is tricky it's really tricky. So, no, the, the whole psychology of gift giving is quite fascinating. Intentionality and the thought that counts really does matter. So th this isn't to do with gift giving, but it's the same thought. Some lovely experiments where people get electric shocks and they have to rate how painful they are. Okay. Now, you have two groups of people. Uh, one group that just get the electric shocks. The other group are told someone is giving you those shocks. There's someone sitting there pressing a button, intentionally giving you the shock. In that second group, the shocks are rated as far more painful because they've got intentionality. And it's the same with gift giving, that if the intention is one of goodness and you can see the person has tried, they've thought about you and so on, the same gift is rated as much more valuable and worthwhile and, and so on. So thought does matter. It's the intention behind it rather than the gift itself. Jenny has written in complaining that her husband always gives her gifts that he can benefit from too, which does take the edge off it. He seems oblivious to why this might annoy her. Yeah, so that, that is egocentricity, which is that often you give people what you yourself would want instead of putting yourself in their shoes and thinking what would they actually like. Mm. My favourite gift, it wasn't a Christmas gift, my favourite one was another author gave me a copy of their book and they'd written in it, uh, to Richard, love your work, and then signed it. Yeah. I said, that's very kind. Then I turned the page, when I hadn't read it, but written behind it was to John, love your work. And, <laughs> 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 and then re-gifted. so good. It was brilliant. That's it was, so good. Uh, it, was, it was rather wonderful. <laughs> Here's some other thoughts in terms of, of gifts, is that it's a good idea to give experiences rather than a physical object. People often don't think of that. But the good thing about experiences is obviously it pushes people into something new, but it gives them something to talk about with others. It's that social currency again. And one of my favourites is often give a magazine subscription because then it's a gift that lasts all year and they keep on getting little reminders every month or whatever it is. I got a magazine subscription, which I hated, and every month... <laughs> 
<laughs> you're reminded. That, Every month, that's a, even a magazine came through the door yes. and I thought, this probably cost them a lot of money. Yes. I think this writing is appalling. Yes. And this is who they think no, I am. That's great. If you don't like somebody, give them a terrible magazine <laughs> subscription, a whole year of pain and misery for them. <laughs> that's what we're looking for in this podcast. Double glazing monthly. Nick contacted the show to say that last Christmas his sister told him to just transfer money into his niece's bank account rather than giving her a gift. And he, he said he felt a bit put out by it because it felt really impersonal and functional. Also, it means that she knows exactly what he's willing to spend on her. I yes. get that. I get that because it's just like saying you're worth £20. Whereas if you found something really cool for £20 that maybe looked a bit more... I suppose it's all down to individuals, isn't it? But it's interesting, it's the second one, isn't it, there, is, is that, that the person finds out what you think of them. So, again, that all becomes about you and it should be about them. So I think it's about being authentic. It's about actually trying to help the person. I mean, transferring money is a bit weird because you don't have that moment of giving. Yeah. And I think it is the moment of giving that's, that, that's actually really good for the well-being. It's that, that sense of here's something and you see the person uh, accept it and so on. It all feels a little bit impersonal to be doing that uh, distance. What I would say about Christmas, you know, it's not the only time of the year that you can be giving towards someone. Every day could be Christmas Day. You know, you can help other people and give them gifts any time of the year. It doesn't you don't need an excuse. And and I think those sorts of gifts, actually uh, unexpected, are rather lovely and they carry quite a lot of psychological value. So you could just say to your family, I don't do Christmas gifts, everyone's got enough. But when you least expect it, <laughs> I'm gonna gift gift <laughs> the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but you, you yeah, your kid do both. You could give something Christmas and then say, you know, in the middle of the year, here's something else. A little bit of research here, which is lovely, which is looking at how you get a good bargain on eBay if you are wanting a value for Ooh, money. I love a bargain. Uh, so this is looking at how you get a bargain on the platforms where they sell and, and uh, you buy goods, of which there are many out there. And on some of those platforms, you make an offer. So the person puts it out for X and you make an offer Y. And there's been some research looking at what kind of offers are more likely to get accepted. And the answer is, part of the answer, is that you mirror the way in which they've put the original price on. So if they're looking at something that's, say, I don't know, $37.77, you can tell this is American research, then you offer $27.77. The second part of that is really important. So you mirror their original pricing, the second part, and that massively increases the chances of that offer being accepted. Huh. It's a very simple little tip there. This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind and in this episode we're talking about Christmas and if you want us to keep doing this, we need your help and support. Please review us and share the episodes with your friends and please subscribe too. It helps other people to find us. We should say that, I mean, some people really struggle at Christmas. It's a difficult time for people for reasons I completely understand. So although we're having fun with it here, we've said many times on the podcast, if it's something that you are struggling with, then seek support, seek professional help. But Sarah Milliken does a whole Christmas Twitter where it's just this online community of people who are 
all having a less than brilliant Christmas, yeah. who were just reaching out and making a community. I find that really lovely. Yeah, no, I think it's a very nice thing to do. A friend of mine used to work on Christmas Day, and so in his office, he would just be online all the time. So if you wanted to work on Christmas Day, you'd actually go online with him, and you'd all sit there working, ignoring Christmas completely. Yeah, so for some people, it, it is a difficult time. One of the reasons I do like it is it is an opportunity to connect with others. Uh, I'm a big fan of Christmas games. And yep. I've got a couple of little stunts here. My favourite one, uh, little bets and things that I always do at Christmas time. Uh, my favourite one is saying 50 words, 50 words in 60 seconds, and none of the words can have the letter A in. That's one of my favourite little Christmas bets. You say to people, do you think I can say 50 words in 60 seconds and I won't use the letter A? And they go, oh, no, it's impossible. And then you just count up to 50. You go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's not the letter A ah. all the way up. So Did not know fun. that. Okay, yeah, I will yeah. do that on my family. My, and... my favourite one, though, yeah. with kids, is that you say to the kid, here's the bet. You go under the table, I'm going to knock three times on the table, and I bet you cannot remain under the table when I knock three times on the table. And if you do manage to remain there, then you can win big money or whatever it is they want. 50p. 50p, kids. Yeah. If you can remain under that table for three knocks. Kid goes under the table, you knock twice, <gasps> walk away. No! Yes! That's really bad. They can be under there until next Christmas oh, sometimes. Oh, awful. It's great. Can we talk about the Christmas season? Yes. Is there any impact on the ideal length for sustaining excitement around a season like Christmas? Uh, Lily says, does hearing Christmas songs before December make Christmas less interesting? There is something called the mere exposure effect, which is that just being exposed to a person or a Christmas tree or Christmas music initially is quite nice. Then after time, it really becomes annoying. And the more it goes on after that, the more annoying it gets. And then after a while, sometimes it then goes out the other side and you're not quite annoyed about it because you're not attending to it so much. So I think definitely that there is this idea that the more Christmas comes forward and you start to have it in the middle of October or whatever, by the time you get to actually December, you've kind of seen all the trees, you're a bit fed up, you're a bit Christmas out with things. So, yeah, I, I would be a fan of either dropping in extra bits as you go along or saving it all for later on in December. Sally was asking something similar. Can we only sustain the excitement for a finite period of time? Because she says that by the time the actual day comes, she's a bit over it. Yes. And I used to work in a Christmas shop, oh. the, the Christmas department of a department store. And it opened at the beginning of October and people would come up and they'd sniff and they'd go... I think it's disgusting. Christmas is earlier and earlier each year. And then they'd look at the shiny things and then they'd buy some of them. <laughs> so, well, no. 15th December, psychologically, that is the perfect time to start putting out trees and things. Okay. I, yeah, Thank I just you. made that up. No, it sounds really plausible. There we go. That's a good... Yeah, that'll be tomorrow's headlines. Good 10-day count. says 15th December, 50, perfect time. Perfect. Brackets, no evidence at all. No evidence. No evidence needed. We just need to be told that this is how to do it right. Is there any psychology about the importance of decorations? Uh, well, decorations are interesting, again, because they are a signal to others that you're a fun-loving person or you want to be part of the community. There's been a little bit of research on, on that. And so there's been some studies where you take photographs of people's houses, even without decorations. You ask the people to say, how embedded are you within your community? And people just looking at the photographs can accurately say how embedded this person is within their community. They can tell signs of friendliness and so on just from the image of the house. And the same goes for 
uh, Christmas decorations makes it harder because that's a kind of a masking effect. So it's a bit like... Um, what do you when, mean? What's a masking effect? It's any sort of nonverbal communication. Often um, you'll get a micro-expression, you'll get a very small expression of fear or whatever, and people will squelch it with a smile. And so, therefore, you can't read the original expression because it gets squelched quickly. And Christmas decorations are a bit like that. Your house might be giving out one signal, but you just covered them all up with, with decorations. Now, you can't really read the house, as it were, as to what sorts of people live there. So all these things, uh, what I find fascinating about them, is it isn't just the, hey, look, I'm putting up some decorations. You're putting up particular decorations in a particular way to send a particular message. Is there a way of, if you don't really enjoy Christmas of sort of turning it round or ignoring it, apart from just going to a place that doesn't celebrate Christmas? I think it's up to everybody what they do. It's whatever's best for them. That is the key thing. If this is a time of year, then it's supposed to make people feel good. You should do whatever's best for you. If that means ignoring it, if it means hanging out with different groups of people, if it means spending time, whatever is best for you, if it means getting certain types of support, do what is best for you. Don't get wrapped up in these social norms, particularly if they make you feel bad for reasons that all of us understand. For me, that's the key message. So what have we learned? Giving Richard Wiseman presents is good for you. Uh, well, giving <laughs> giving gifts uh, is good for you. Uh, to put yourself in somebody else's shoes is good for you. So don't give what you would want to receive, but what you think they would want to receive. But it is mainly the thought that counts because 40%, did you say, of people are going to try and take it back anyway. That's right. That's, that's the key takeaway. Uh, there's a reason why cracker jokes are absolutely terrible, and we should celebrate that. There's also that notion that you can celebrate Christmas or not celebrate Christmas in whatever way you want to. Don't be driven by social norms. Be driven by what's good for you. Beards, generally not a good idea. A little white goatee ones, not so bad. But, not so but, bad. Yes. Yours is beautiful. Thank you. But generally, the santery ones make people think that you're less trustworthy. There are lots of fun games to be played. There are ways of keeping children under tables for very long periods of time. Oh, yes, that's genius. Other fun games in the lead-up to Christmas, Whamageddon. Have you come across Whamageddon? I haven't. So the Christmas music, which a lot of people find very irritating, and, it, and I think they might have used it literally as a form of torture in the past, but one of the songs, Wham's Last Christmas, one of the games that lots of people play is try not to hear that song in the lead-up to Christmas and see how long you last. And it, it just turns the whole thing into a game it's that great. season. It's yeah. great. Yeah, and gamifying stuff, a lot of psychology, showing it makes everything a lot more fun, which is what we need at uh, Christmas time. So if you've managed to last until the 20th and you haven't heard Last Christmas, we should just sing it. If we sung it now, would that ruin people's game? If I did that, yes, it would ruin everyone's probably next 12 months. OK, let's not then. We'll just say Merry Christmas. And celebrate it however you want to celebrate it. From Podomo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podomo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>